It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter is asleep. Judas is betraying. But Sunday is coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scarlet. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirit's burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross. Feeling forsaken by his father. Left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laugh. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard. And a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming.
Lord of all. Amen. Great singing, church. Great singing. Sing this out. Come thou fountain. And come thou fountain. Every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Corporal songs of loudest praise. And teach me some melodious song. Some by claiming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it. Mount of thine redeeming love. lost and I was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me and I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free and now my soul can sing a new song now my heart has found the To grace, how great a tender, daily I'm constrained to be. Sing it out. Let thy goodness, like a bitter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Oh, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Y'all can be seated.
Good morning. Welcome to the 10 o'clock news of Triple B Television. I'm Laura Netton. I'm reporting. Uh, I'm live in the studio giving you uh, the breaking news that we have at the top of the hour. Um, I've got a reporter, um, downtown Memphis. There's uh, quite a gathering that's taking place at 721 North Parkway. And so I've got a reporter um, that's there uh, taking it all in. And uh, it's Eric Linkus. He's reporting live. Eric, are you there? Yeah, Laura, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, man, this is a huge story. Usually at 721 North Parkway, there's a big crowd, but there's ex- extra excitement today. Usually people come out to hear what our crazy pastor has to say, such as Yes Siree, Bobcat, other, other sayings. People come out and see our hipster worship pastor, but today he's got a, he's got a full uh, choir with him and everything. Uh, the reason is because live from Island Community Church, it's Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> We are so, so excited to have you guys here with us today. This is what, like, all of history hinges on this event. Our lives are built on this event. Apart from the resurrection, we have nothing. Uh, so we're so excited that you're here. Uh, if you're a guest, this is a great time for you to be here. Um, one of the things that we want you to do uh, in, in the seats, we have a guest card that we'd love for you to fill out. Um, you could turn it into one of our greeters after the service, and we'd love to... Um, to share a water bottle with you. You can see that on the screen. It's a, a rite of passage for our church. So um, I think Laura has some announcements for us. Yeah. Um, this week we're going to be serving um, with St. Jude at the Target House. And uh, we're going to be uh, celebrating Earth Day on uh, Tuesday night. Um, it's a, just a great opportunity anytime we have to go there to build relationships with the patients and their families. And so it's a craft night. Um, if you're interested, um, you can sign up online. It, it might already be full because I know the women's group is taken over. So, um, but anyway, uh, just a great opportunity. Also, we have a pancake bref- breakfast coming up in a, in a couple Saturdays, uh, Saturday, May 3rd. Um, we're selling tickets in advance. It's an all-you-can-eat um, pancake breakfast. And the whole point of it isn't just to feed your face, but actually to raise money for missions. Um, and so you can either buy a ticket today or from... Uh, any of our missions team members that are um, going on trips this year. Um, they'll be available, of course, for sale after church today and also next Sunday. Uh, we, we encourage you to invite uh, friends, families, and coworkers uh, to come as well, um, and that'll be Saturday, May 3rd. Yeah, also we have a C2M conference coming up. It's uh, designed for uh, just equipping you for uh, local and global missions. Barrett and some of the other uh, local pastors in the area are going to uh, be a part of that and teaching that and leading us. Uh, it's Monday, April the 28th. Uh, and there's more details online uh, as well as uh, all of the other announcements that we've uh, mentioned. You can go to islandcommunitychurch.com and uh, find out more about those. Um, but for now, uh, we'll just love for you guys to stand up and greet one another. Uh, just happy Easter, everyone. It's a great day of rejoicing. That's right.
hands or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand oh stand on the Lord Amen Amen church be seated I came with energy this morning. I'm expecting some in return, all right? Happy Easter. Easter. He is risen, and he is risen indeed, and it is such a great day. I've got all my happy socks, and and there are flowers on the teaching table, and the cross is pretty, and you look mighty fine yourself. Just look at your neighbor and say, man, you look good today. Or woman, or whatever it is. Oh man, it is so good to be together, and uh, all of this is is not because of anything other than it is a day to celebrate our Lord Jesus and the, what He has done for us in His mighty redemption of us. If you are new to ICC this morning, so glad you're here. Uh, we just we really are. We're so glad you're here. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and we welcome you today. It's so good to see you on this Easter Sunday, and we would love to have you back anytime. Uh, we are. I'm looking out at this crowd and I'm just like, God, you're so faithful. Because I remember a few years ago, it seems like we were just packed in a little schoolroom there at the Maria Montessori School on Mud Island. Anybody there then? A few of us? Okay. And it's amazing to see this full room this morning and just to be uh, here with you to celebrate Jesus. I'm right here with you. I just want to celebrate Jesus today. And I'm just I'm so thankful for you. And so glad that you're here. Well, we're in the middle of a series, and I'm going to finish the series this morning. It's a series called Redemption's Hill, 
And what we've been doing is week by week looking at the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. And we've been doing that because we've had a heart in this Easter season just to draw in to know more of Jesus. We want to love him more. We want to know him more. We want to just give ourselves to him more. We want to receive more of what he's done for us. And truly in these last moments of Jesus's life, as it is with any person in the last moments of his life, he is speaking intentionally. And what we see is that the words that he speaks is coming. It shows us his heart and it shows us the purpose of why he was actually there on the cross. And some of us may still wonder about that. So just like a diamond, I said at the start of the series, it's kind of like you can look at a diamond from a distance. My, my wife's diamond, she says it says bling, 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 bling. So you can look at it from a distance and, and you can admire it from a distance. But you can also take that diamond if you've ever done this and gone to the diamond store. Guys, I'm sorry if you've ever done this because you're about to spend money. Uh, you, you take it to the diamond store and you can hold it up and you can look at it under the magnifying glass and turn it around and see all the beautiful facets of that diamond. See its real content, its real character, its real color and quality, all those C's they teach you there. And, and you can see it, admire it in a greater way as you look at it up close and if you just gaze into it. And that's what we're doing with the cross. It is beautiful from a distance. Oh, it is. But as we get closer and we look more intently at what it is that he's doing there, it becomes all the more glorious as we gaze into it and we just want to worship Jesus. And that's, that's what I want for you today. So can I just pray for us? I want you and your heart to worship Jesus today and I can't do that, so I need to pray that God would do that in you. God, I just come to you this morning and I thank you, God, that you're a victorious God. There is no one like you, God. All power, all glory, Lord, is unto you and to your name. And God, every person in this room is created for you. You made each one of us when we were in our mother's womb, God, you fashioned us. You know us well. And we were created for you, God, to have a relationship with you. And what I know, Lord, is that every person in this room, including myself, we have all fallen away from you by our own choices and our actions, Lord. We have chosen to walk away. But Lord, I pray this morning that we could hear in a way that is not just black words on ink on a page, but Lord, in a way that is written by your spirit in our hearts, Lord, that we could hear this morning with spiritual ears, that we could see with spiritual eyes the news of what you have done in your son, Jesus, to bring us back to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that Whosoever might believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus, you came that we might have life and life abundantly. So God, I pray this morning that we could see Jesus. Every person here, Lord, that we could have a heart to behold him and to receive all that he is and all that he has done for us that we might have full life and a relationship with you. You need to do this, God. I can't. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you're excited to go to the Word together. Uh, That's all we do here, just go through the Bible together. And we're going to be today in John, which is a gospel writer in the New Testament. If you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn them open. We're going to be in two different gospels today because we're going to be looking at the last two sayings of Jesus from the cross. John chapter 19 this morning. John chapter 19.
I just want to uh, take a minute to set the stage for us of where we are in the narrative. Because we have been really kind of storying through in a timeline fashion these last moments of Jesus' life. It is Friday in the city of Jerusalem. About 2,000 years ago, these are real things that really happened. Jesus was a real man, just like you and me. If we had lived them, we could, we could have met him. It's a Friday, and it's a killing day in Jerusalem. It's a day that the Romans had set aside to go out and execute in the most brutal way that they constructed. They designed it for its brutality. They would execute by crucifixion men who were deemed worthy of death. Men who had been tried and then taken out to be put to their rightful death. Except this Friday is a little bit different. Because just outside of the Damascus Gate, just north of the city, alongside that public road where people would have gone by, the Romans wanted the crosses there to be seen in full view and the strangest of humanity, people actually drew near to watch these men die. But on this Friday, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the only Savior appointed unto men that we might believe, our Lord and Savior Jesus, though he had done no wrong, never, ever, ever had he done anything to deserve punishment, to deserve execution, to deserve condemnation. Never. But on this Friday, Jesus has been marched out of that gate after a horrendous night, a kangaroo court kind of trial, wrongly condemned, but like a sheep before his shearers, Isaiah 53 says, Jesus was silent. He was mocked. He was accused. He was slandered. He was beaten brutally. Blow after blow after blow our Savior received. He was scourged. He was dressed up to be king in a most mocking and sarcastic way by those who were leading him toward his death. He became so weak and frail that he could not even carry his cross and still the procession continued. He made his way there to that place that's called the Skull Golgotha, that hill just outside of the Damascus Gate in public view. And what we know is that there the cross would have been laid and Jesus would have been laid upon it. And through both of his hands and through his feet would have gone nails. Over his head, the crown of thorns pushed deep down into his skull. Blood, sweat, water oozing out of his body. The whole time, what we know, the first saying of Jesus was from the cross. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. He is there that you and I might have an opportunity to be forgiven of the debt that we owe to God by our sin. The cross is raised up. It's lowered into place. The body jolts all the pressure now on the hands and the feet. Breasts become entirely difficult at this point. Dehydration, of course, begins to set in. There's voices heard there 
among those who are being crucified. And what we know is that one of the criminals called out to Jesus that Jesus, somehow he realized that Jesus is there. He didn't deserve to be there. He is there to be the Savior of all who would believe. And in faith and repentance, he cries out and said, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And we hear then the second words of the cross. Today, I tell you, truly, you will be with me in paradise. A pointer that not only did Jesus die to forgive all who would believe, but that forgiveness has to be applied in a personal way. And salvation comes to every person who calls out on the name of the Lord. And that criminal is with Jesus to this very day because he died for him. From the cross, we also heard Jesus, as he saw his mother down there, making arrangements for her that she would be taken care of after his death. Giving her to his beloved friend and apostle John and giving John his mother. Showing us that Jesus not only died to accomplish our salvation, but Jesus' death also guarantees that he cares for us in the most intimate, the most sweet, the most care-filled, love-filled ways in our life. Jesus' death ensures that he does care about us and he's going to take care of our needs. Amen? Then, Jesus has been on the cross for three hours. It started at nine and now it's noon. And what we learn is that at noon, darkness covered the whole land. Not for just five minutes, not for just 30 minutes, but for three long hours, darkness. Darkness over the whole land. Eerie darkness that would have sent a chill up your spine. As our Savior gives his life and is paying every sin that you and I had ever committed if we believe. At three o'clock, what we learn is that the darkness ceases and from the cross there's a cry it's a cry again directed not at anybody around him not at anybody down there but a cry from the father my god my god why have you forsaken me that cry of abandonment Because your sins and mine separated him from the Father. For the first time he had ever been separated, he was separated from the Father. That we might be forever invited in. Praise God. Praise God. Soon after he cried, another word comes out of his mouth. It's a word that we looked at this past Friday night. Dipsal. Dipsal. I thirst. Jesus, in greatest physical agony, not because he deserved it, but because we do, giving his life for us, he thirsts. And the soldiers take the cheapest drink of the day, vinegar mixed with wine. They take a sponge. They hold it up with a branch of hyssop. It touches our Savior's mouth. His dehydration for just a moment is quenched so that two additional phrases can come out of his mouth. These are the phrases that we're going to be looking at this morning. I want to tell you that these two phrases are incredibly wonderful. Incredibly wonderful. 
It's the reason that I chose to do them this morning. It's because they're full of celebration and happiness and victory. From the cross, two more phrases. John chapter 19. You got your scripture? All right. You excited? You excited? Listen to your Savior talk to you. John chapter 19, verse 20. When Jesus had received the sour wine, So in the moments after they touched that to his mouth, and he received the sour wine, scripture says that he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. Tetelestai, one word in Greek he would have said, Three words in English. What does it mean? Say it with me. It is finished. The greatest word coming from the greatest man on the greatest day in all of the world. No other word in all of history has ever been spoken that has changed human history. That has offered redemption to man like this one word. Charles Spurgeon said, it is the sweetest note of the tune of Calvary. Other preachers have said, listen, it's going to take us all eternity to fully comprehend the depth of the wonder of this one word. It is majestic. And I'm like trying to contain my excitement. I just need to stay here. It's awesome. This one word. Tetelestai. It is is finished. Victorious and happy word. Now, you're going to ask me, okay, uh, maybe explain to me what this is. Okay, why are you so giddy right now? Why are you jumping around? I'll explain to you, all right? Let's first look at the word itself. It is the perfect tense in Greek, the perfect tense of teleo. This is derived from another Greek word called Telos, okay? Can you say that with me? I want you to be Greek speakers today. Ready? Telos. All right. Now, what does this word mean? I'm, I'm so glad you asked. So You guys are so participatory. It means this. A goal achieved. A consummation. A result that is attained. What it means, essentially, is that there is a goal There has been a desire and a goal, and now it has been brought to a successful end. A goal achieved. Now, the interesting thing about this word is that, here's the first thing. The first thing it means is that it's been done fully, all right? Now, yesterday, I was trying to put together a dresser for our little girl who's coming in just a few weeks, and I'm so excited about it. I was trying to put together a dresser for her. Has anybody bought anything from Ikea? (laughs) Does anybody just want to join me in a petition to Ikea to make things a little bit simpler? (laughs) I'm telling you, I, I like directions, but sometimes, you know, Ikea... You can have a piece of furniture as big as a stage, and it will come in a box about this flat and this wide, and it's like, put it together, good luck. And it's like, I cannot do this. I spent hours yesterday working on this dresser. 
And it is done. But it's not really done completely. <laughs> right? It kind of is there, and it's kind of successfully there. But it is definitely not done completely. It's definitely not done as it should be done. This word, telos, does not apply to my work on that dresser. It does not. Because in the Greek, it means it is done completely. It is done fully. What has been set out to do has been done perfectly, and there's nothing more that you can do to it to make it any better. It is done. Not only is it full in its tense, but it's also final in its tense. That's the perfect tense in Greek. What it means is it's final, which means it has been done. It's done today. And as long as you want to keep going out into the future, it forever will be done. It's done. Not only fully and completely, but finally. There is nothing more that you can do to add to it. It is done. And it will forever be done. The other cool thing about the Greek tense, don't you just love all these things I'm telling you? The other really cool thing is that it is a past event That carries into the future. So not only is it done in the past and has an effect in the past, but that effect continues to be realized to this day. That's what it means, teleo or telos. Now, in the day, it would have been used by bankers. You want to know how? Anybody own a house? Okay, just a few of us. It's okay. It's okay. I didn't mean to make you feel bad about yourself. Um, Most of us, even when we own a house, we don't really own it because what? The bank owns it, right? Who has the the deed for that house? The bank does. But oh, what a glorious day rejoicing it will be when you make that final payment. And then what? The deed gets transferred to who? To me. Because that joker is paid in full. On that thing comes a stamp. Paid in full. In the Greek society, kid you not, on the deeds that were handed over to those debts that were paid in full, they stamped on it the word that Jesus Christ here from the cross. And that's pretty cool. It's a word that an artist would have used when he got finished with his painting and he put the final stroke on and he stands back and looks at it and he says, It's perfect. It's perfect. It is finished. It's it's the word you would use if you try, wanted to run a 10K and you set yourself to run the 10K and you cross the finish line. You did it. What you set out to do, you've done it. If you wanted to climb Mount Everest and you climbed it, you did it forever. You did it. You can say, I ran the 10K. You can say, I climbed Mount Everest. Any students in the room? The moment you take your last board exam, can I get a witness? And you get the thing and it says, you passed. What, a, what are you going to do? Is that what you're going to do? That's pathetic. You're going to get up and dance around. You're going to say, I'm so happy. And you're going to do that little Pharrell Williams dance. Listen, you're going to, it is a great thing. You passed your boards forever. You will be what you set out to be. Nothing left for you to do. That is, tell us, that is the word that Jesus is crying here from the cross. It is finished. What is, 
what does this have to do with Jesus on the cross and why is he saying it? He's saying it not because these are pitiful words of distress and resignment. Here on the cross, well, I'll just give it up. I guess it's over. No, he is saying it as a living savior, as a conquering king, as the perfect redeemer. He is saying the work of redemption that I came here to do is now fully, forever, completely done. It is done. It is finished. All that I came here to do is now complete. Nothing to be added to it. Nothing to be taken from it. It is finished. What did he come to do? Well, the first thing that he's saying it's finished for, it's finished. He perfectly obeyed the law. Jesus said that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He obeyed God perfectly. And he fulfilled the law down to the tiniest of regulations of it. Perfectly, he fulfilled the law. Why did this matter to you? Because you haven't fulfilled the law. Down to the tiniest regulation, you have not done what God wants you to do, and you cannot and you will not do it. But now, because Christ has said, it is finished, his perfection now wraps you up like new clothes on an Easter Sunday morning. He gives it to you freely. It is finished. There's nothing of his righteousness that can get any better. It is perfect and it is full. And now it is fully available to you if you would just believe. Yeah, you're going to sin. You're going to wander from God. Your days are not going to be perfect, but praise God that you have a Savior who on the cross said, I have worked righteousness on your behalf, and it is perfect, and it is finished, and now it is yours because you are in me. Praise God. Amen? What else is finished? It's finished that he fulfilled all of the prophecies. Every single thing in the Old Testament that said, this is going to be who your Savior will be. This is who your Messiah will be. He will do this and he will be this and you will know that this is him by X, Y, and Z. There are hundreds of markers of who the Messiah would be and there are people in the world today that still haven't seen it yet that truly the Messiah has already come and his name is Jesus. And down to the last prophecy, he has fulfilled all that was written about the one who would come. And on the cross, he's saying, there is nothing more that I need to do to prove who I am. I am the Messiah, the one appointed to bring people back to God. I am he. It is finished. No longer do you need to wait. Now you just need to believe. He not only did that, but third, he, in a finished way, provided the needed sacrifice for sin. He provided the needed sacrifice for sin. The Bible teaches that the wages of your sin, I'm talking to you this morning, the wages of your sin, what you deserve 
because of your sin against God. And this is not a popular teaching. This is not Barrett's words. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. You deserve death. Not just death physically, but you deserve death spiritually. Separation from God. But the Bible teaches that on the cross, Jesus took on that payment that you deserve. You owe a debt to God. It's like going to the bank and saying, I owe, I owe, I owe, I owe. Forever being indebted, but never being able to repay. Jesus walks into the bank and says, hand me that guy's note. I want to pay it in full. And I'm going to hand it to him so he can walk away free. Praise God. The sacrifice for sin no longer remains because he has taken it in his own body and his own blood. He was abandoned by the Father so that you never have to be. It's done. The full cup of God's wrath, Jesus took it and drank it down to the last drop, poured it completely out, and now he hands it back to you and there's nothing left for you to drink of it ever, ever, ever again. You will sin. Sin is in you, but let me tell you, sin is no longer on you because it was on Jesus. And in God's court, there is no double jeopardy. You cannot be tried twice for the same sins that have already been paid. You are free. It is finished. Can I get a smile? Can I get an amen? It's finished. And not just that, but the defeat of Satan has been totally, totally completed. On the cross, it says in Scripture that Jesus disarmed the rulers and the principalities and the enemy. He triumphed over them. And no longer will sin ever have hold on those who believe. Death will not be the end of your life, but a gateway into your relationship with God face to face. And the enemy will not have the last say over you, but God will and his promise of love for you. The enemy is done. Sin is done. Death is no more. For the cross, hear him say, it is finished. God's perfect plan of salvation is finished. You can't get baptized and add to it. You can't go through a spiritual ritual and add to it. No human work, no spiritual work, no mama, no daddy, no religious attendance, church attendance, no Bible study, no adherence to the five pillars of who knows what. Nothing, nothing, nothing can make you more saved than accepting the perfect work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus on your behalf and mine. It is finished, folks. It is finished. The words of a victorious life-giving king. It is finished. All you can do to be saved is to accept what Jesus has already done for you to be saved. He's done the work. Has it been applied to your account? Tetelestai. Tetelestai. It is finished. What we know is that this wasn't the final word of Jesus from the cross. If you go in your scripture, 
just back one chapter to Luke chapter 23. What we learn is that in the moments after Jesus declared with a smile on his face, perhaps, his work was done. Everything needed to bring sinners back to himself was done, paid in full. It is finished. Right after this, in his next breaths, Luke chapter 23, verse 44, we'll start there. It says that it was now about the sixth hour, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, said, Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus' physical life had reached its climax, and from the word that just preceded what we hear is that everything that God had sent for him to do, he had done it perfectly, fully, completely, eternally. There's nothing to be added to it. It is now done for all who would receive and believe. By faith, we can have all of it by his grace as a gift. And now, Jesus quotes Psalm chapter 31, verse 5, which is the standard Jewish nighttime prayer for little boys and little girls. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Personal prayer prayer of a son to his dad. Dad, I'm coming home. My life and my mission, the plan that we worked for those who would believe, it's done. I've obeyed perfectly. It's finished. Salvation can now be applied. It's all done, Father. Father, into your hands, into your hands, resting in God. This is showing us how we get to die now in Christ. Resting in God, trusting in his promise and in his character, in his work for us. Listen, Jesus knows where he's going. He's not dying going, "Uh uh-oh, not sure what's going to happen now. No, he knows exactly where his home is. Into your hands, Father. Christians die well because of Jesus. Peace, confidence, joy at death because we know that into his hands we go. And then he says, I commit my spirit. Remember that Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. 
Even here on the cross, Jesus is in total control. Everything that had happened had been predestined to take place, and now Jesus is not. Nobody's going to take his last breath. He is giving up now his spirit. It shows us that the spirit is different from the body. The body will die. Yours will. But your spirit is eternal. You have a spirit. It is eternal. It belongs to God, but it may not be with God if you are not in Christ. But for those who are, it does go back to God. And he says, into your hands I commit, I submit, I give my spirit. Max Licato, in his book, No Wonder They Call Him the Savior, says this about this moment. Unforgettable picture, word picture. Were it a war, this would be the aftermath. Were it a symphony, this would be the second between the final note and the first applause. Were it a journey, this would be the site of home. Were it a storm, this would be the sun piercing the clouds. But it wasn't. It was a Messiah, our Messiah, and it was a sigh of joy. Father, the voice is hoarse. A voice that called forth the dead, the voice that taught the willing, the voice that screamed out at before God, now says, Father, Father, the two are at one again. That's it. His life on earth is done. He breathed his last and there will be no more words from cross it is finished and he's returned to God but we're here this morning because we know that that wasn't the end how do we know that this man who just died truly can do and the things that he said that he could do truly died for the things he said he died for can truly Give the power to change my sinful dead heart to be reunited with God. How can we really know this? Is that it? Just another man dying? No. And our final seconds together, I want you to flip real quick to Matthew chapter 27. Because I want to tell you what you already came to hear. What happened right after Jesus breathed his last? Matthew chapter 27. We'll start at verse 50. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. Is that all? Verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple 
was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and they appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw this, the earthquake, and what was taking place, they were filled with awe. And they said, truly, truly, this was the Son of God. Put yourself there. You've just heard all the seven words from the cross. You've just seen this man in his dying moments, and now he's given his last breath, and his body goes limp. Is he who he said he was? That day, there was absolutely no question, because at that moment, the huge curtain that stood at the front of the temple, imagine having to go to the temple, And there being a curtain standing in between you and the most holy of holies because you are not worthy to enter the presence of a holy God because you know your sin, your guilt, and your shame. Imagine at that moment, it is finished. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. That veil that separated you from the very holy of holies, the very presence of God, from the top to the bottom, torn in half. And now, access to all the people to God because of him who was slain. An earthquake jolted the place. People who were dead, saints who had believed in God and waited for the Messiah, began to rise up from their graves. People saw them. There are historians, guys, of this day who account to all of these same things. It's not just here, although if it were just here, it would be enough. But many people saw them. Even the centurion, the hard-hearted one who had mocked and railed him, who had gambled for his clothes and waited for him to die in mockery. The centurion now falls to his knees And he begins to beat his breast, saying, Oh, God, truly this was your son. Truly he was. Repentance and faith from the most hard of hearts. Everything that day pointed to the reality that he truly is the Savior. That his work is the way back to God. What we know from the rest of Matthew 27 is that he was buried in a tomb. Real soldiers put him there, and real soldiers stood outside that place with a huge stone rolled over because they were worried that people were going to steal him. They were worried that people were going to take him away and then try to make some false claims. Real people ensured that he was there and that he would stay there. But what we know is that three days later, according to the scriptures, he rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples and to hundreds who saw him. 
could, just so I could get a smile on your face or maybe just a jaw jaw. Dead people don't raise up. <laughs> don't get too accustomed of hearing this story to not let it shock you. Jesus, who had just been brutally crucified, who barely had breath to give his last words, whose side was pierced with a spear to make sure that he was completely dead, whose lifeless body went down off of that cross and laid into a tomb, who was surrounded by soldiers, a guard of the Romans, to make sure that he didn't get out. He walked out of that tomb and he showed up to his disciples. And the tomb is not full of anything anymore. It's empty. You can go there today. No one has ever produced his body. He's not there. Why? Because he said to you and to me, it is finished. And today, he is not dead. He's alive. And he's with God. They saw him ascend into heaven. He's at his right hand, sitting down. Why is he sitting? Because the priests of the temple were so busy making sacrifices. Why is Jesus sitting? Because he made one sacrifice with his own body and his own blood. His work was finished, and so now he's sitting. Because there's nothing left to do other than for you to believe. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. He is a wonderful, reigning Savior, and he loves you. From the day that he rose... His church has been growing. The gospel has been proclaimed. People have been believing. His spirit is at work among those who trust in him. He gives new life because he loves you. Change has come over the whole world. The question is this morning, has change come to you? He said it was finished, but that work has to be applied to your heart by faith. You have to receive what he offers by his own grace as a gift. You have to receive it. How do you receive it? You acknowledge your sin. You repent of it. You turn from it. You believe that Jesus is the Savior and he has everything needed to save you. He has done it all. He can give you his righteousness and he can take away your sin. He can bring you back to God. You believe that. And not just believe it, but you surrender your life to it. You say, oh God, take my heart. Take it. Make me new. Your power is at work now by the proof of your resurrection from the dead. God, work your power in me. I want to come back to you. Have you changed? It's not enough to know other people have changed because of this. Have you changed? You can change because he loves you. He's the living redeemer. He died for you and he rose again that you might have new life. Praise God. I'm so thankful for these seven sayings of Jesus from the cross that I could just about shout because he is an awesome savior and he is alive today. And in my heart to you, is I want you to know him. I want you to receive from his hand. I want you to have his life. There is no other savior. There is no other redemption, but there doesn't need to be because he loves you and he's finished the work. Receive, believe. Let me pray. God, thank you for the glorious day that is Easter. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a mighty Savior and that you finished the work that was needed for us. 
You didn't do it for you. You did it for us. We're the ones that needed forgiveness. We're the ones that needed righteousness, Lord. You did it all for us because you love us. You love us. You came for us. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, Lord, that this morning they might know that you love them. You love every person here. And you came for them. God, I pray for every person that, Lord, we have received and believed and the only one who can give us new life. All of us are dead in our trespasses and our sins. All of us have gone astray, but God, you have laid on Jesus the sin of all who would believe. And you freely will give perfection and righteousness that we need to come back to you. Lord, I pray for every person that in their heart, they would say, I have been changed because Jesus lived and died and rose again for me. Can we worship you, Jesus, today, our risen Savior, our perfect Redeemer, our coming King? We pray this in your name. Amen. Stand, worship. I'm here. There's prayer people coming down front. If you want to pray with me, if you want to talk about how Jesus can change your life, you come on down. Worship God today. He is alive, and he hears the praises of your heart. We believe in God the Father.
that he has given to us. We give because he gave everything to us. And we give because we want everyone, everywhere, to treasure Jesus, to follow him with their life because he is the only redeemer. Every dollar you give goes to support gospel ministry, gospel ministry that is needed here in this city and around the world. So give with a smile on your face. Give joyfully today because he's given all to you. Lord, we thank you for what's given today. We do ask that you would bless it and multiply it for your glory here and around the world. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and stand, church. We're going to sing this again. So let our faith be more than anthems. Just as a declaration today of the faith we have in our risen, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Sing that out. So let our faith. So let our faith be more than anthems. Greater than the songs we in our weakness and temptation in our weakness and temptation we believe we believe we believe we believe we believe in God the Father
may the God of hope grant you all joy and peace in believing that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Happy Easter, everybody. Love you so much. See you next week.